You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia discuss the primary care issues that are on their mind and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about PCOS. Joining me is Dr. Roshana Shah from the Division of Endocrinology. She's an attending physician and the director of the Adolescent PCOS Clinic at CHOP. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So PCOS should be considered in any adolescent girl presenting with hirsutism, treatment-resistant acne, menstrual irregularity, acanthosis nigricans, and or obesity. And this includes a lot of our patients. And I have to be honest, there is an element of this that feels almost um, too subjective or judgy for me sometimes. So can you help us figure out kind of where on the spectrum of severity in these findings we should think more about PCOS and how we can be more objective about it? So first, PCOS is extremely common. So it is right to be thinking about it in almost all patients. Um, In adult women, they say 6 to 10% of all reproductive age women have PCOS, and we assume that a lot of these are uh, starting in adolescent and Mm -hmm. just hadn't been picked up. So it's not unusual to be thinking about it frequently. I'll say the diagnostic criteria in teens has to include the menstrual irregularity. Mm-hmm. So if that part is not checked off, you can take it off the table. So I think screening okay. just with um, A good asking about history. menstrual history uh, should be able to help steer you in the right direction. Now, if the periods are irregular, any girl with irregular periods who's more than two years out Mm -hmm. from Menarche deserves a workup, and so it would be appropriate to start working up if any girl who started her period more than two years ago is coming in with missing multiple months or not having regular monthly periods. Great. That's good to know. I guess in those first two years, just because... Um, the ovulatory cycle can be irregular. It's harder to know. Right, exactly. We know that it takes uh, several months to a year or two for the ovulatory patterns to set. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon to see irregularity in those first two years that works itself out. Um, And working up too many girls in that time frame might lead to some unnecessary anxiety. Mm And what diseases mimic PCOS that we should consider in our differential diagnosis? So um, particularly with PCOS, when we think of irregular menses and hyperandrogenism or Mm -hmm. elevated male hormone levels, one of the major imitators is uh, congenital adrenal hyperplasia. Mm -hmm. There can be non-classical forms that don't present in infancy Mm -hmm. and that end up resulting in a very uh, similar phenotype to PCOS. So that's one thing we always try to uh, rule out. And we did just learn from Dr. Vogliazzi that uh, the newborn screen doesn't always catch those non-classical CAH kids. Exactly. So just because we had a normal newborn screen years ago, when we see them as a teenager, we should still keep that on our differential. Exactly. And the thought is that when you actually go back and do genetic testing or you know do a little bit more testing, there might be some percentage of women that are diagnosed with PCOS that actually have non-classical CAH mm-hmm. and are thus being counseled and treated slightly inappropriately. So right. it's worth 
making that distinction early on. Okay, great. So in general, it depends on which symptom you're focused on. But if you're thinking about irregular periods, there's actually quite a long list. Um, So we always want to rule out thyroid disorders, uh, pituitary issues, um, and other adrenal or ovarian issues like a testosterone or androgen-secreting mass. Mm -hmm. So all of those things are in our mind when we're working up the patient for PCOS. So you mentioned some of um, the androgen type hormones. So in primary care, what should our first class of labs be when we're thinking about PCOS and want to rule that out? The testosterone level is diagnostic for PCOS. So in the absence of elevated testosterone level, you can rule out PCOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is a good first pass if, if you just want to rule it out and your suspicion isn't extremely high. Now, mm-hmm. of course, the other part would be ruling out all of the other conditions that we discussed right. that can mimic PCOS. So and it gets the a little... testosterone level we should do in the morning, is that better? Ideally, should be done in the morning when it peaks. Okay. Um, So can we screen for PCOS while an adolescent is on an oral contraceptive pill? So no, actually you cannot. (laughs) Um, Because some people put them on the pill to regulate their period and then by the time you see them and think about PCOS. Exactly. And in some of those situations, when I see these girls, I end up taking them off the pill for a little while Mm -hmm. so we can investigate what was the cause of the irregular menses. Mm -hmm. Uh, So unless the girl is having very severe dysmenorrhea or... Uh, menorrhagia leading to anemia or needs to have her cycles controlled immediately, I prefer doing the full workup before starting a contraceptive pill to regulate cycles. Mm -hmm. Um, The estrogen in a typical oral contraceptive is actually very good at suppressing testosterone levels, so you're not going to get an accurate picture um, Mm -hmm. once the girl is on a contraceptive. So it's worth waiting a few weeks to get Mm -hmm. the investigation done. Mm -hmm. Great. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind. Um, Because the the name is polycystic ovarian syndrome, it makes some people think that we should ultrasound their ovaries to look for cysts. So true or false? (laughs) So false. Uh, And the word polycystic is somewhat of a misnomer. There's not actually cysts in ovaries, and we have to spend some time educating patients about that. Mm -hmm. Um, What looked like cysts on ultrasound were actually multiple follicles that Mm -hmm. were not producing a dominant follicle and ovulating. So there are no actual cysts on the ultrasound. And in fact, there's no recommendation for ultrasound at all in the diagnostic criteria of PCOS in teenagers. In adult women, they are actually cutoff criteria to follicular number and ovarian volume that are part of diagnostic criteria. But because we don't know the norms for teenagers at different ages and pubertal stages, we really haven't established ultrasound criteria. So an ultrasound is not required. Great. So spare them that part. Yes. (laughs) So when the PCOS workup is normal, so we have a normal testosterone level, what should we do about the oligomenorrhea? So do we repeat um, testosterone levels in the future or can we just completely take that off of the list? So when we're evaluating oligomenorrhea, I you know, we rule out everything. So we do the full panel of labs to make sure there's not PCOS, CAH, pituitary, thyroid, Mm -hmm. any of those issues. If everything comes back normal, and I definitely see this in some situations, um, it's just a careful discussion with the family and the patient that this 
that PCOS or any other um, reproductive or gynecologic anomaly is an evolving process at this mm-hmm. age and something we're going to want to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. Um, I often have patients just keep careful track of their periods and come back to see me if they are still irregular. Mm-hmm. There's no necessity in actually treating to make cycles regular mm-hmm. unless there's you know significant pain or heavy bleeding or something else that you're actually managing with the treatment. So I wouldn't recommend necessarily just starting a contraceptive just so they are having monthly periods. That's interesting because I think there is like a belief that you have to have periods. And I know some of the oral contraceptives actually stop yes. your period. So um, some people worry about whether or not that's healthy. So th- you're, you're saying it doesn't matter if you don't have your period, as long as there's not some underlying pathology. Right. And so, it. yeah. And what I, what I try to educate the patients about is that, you know, when you're not having your period every month, the most important thing is to make sure that there's nothing going on mm-hmm. in the background that's leading to that. Right. And then second, you know, if this becomes a long-term issue over many years, um, you know, that unopposed estrogen from not having the progesterone surge um, can increase risk of endometrial cancer. So long term, mm-hmm. we don't want you to never have your period. Right. But in the short term, or even just missing, you know, a few months here and there, mm-hmm. there's no harm. Okay, that's great. Once PCOS is diagnosed, what other disorders should be screened for? Like, are there other things that it runs with and comorbidities we should be aware of? Absolutely. So PCOS in and of itself is a cardiovascular risk factor. So Mm -hmm. even in lean girls with PCOS, um, and even more so if there's concomitant PCOS and obesity, Mm -hmm. um, there is an increased risk of of cardiometabolic disease. So Uh, Part of standard of care is to screen annually for any metabolic dysregularities, including diabetes, hyperlipidemia, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, Mm -hmm. um, and making sure the blood pressure is okay. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also more recently been shown in adult women, and we're starting to have some data and are actually looking at into this ourselves in our clinic, that we're seeing a high rate of anxiety and depression as mm-hmm. well with PCOS. And so um, quickly screening for those things um, may be worth doing. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a good thing for us to keep in mind. And we do depression screening yeah. in primary care all the time. So yeah. we can uh, you know, pay attention to that in our PCOS patients. So since oral contraceptives are used in the treatment and many patients with PCOS are obese, do we need to worry more about complications like uh, venous thromboembolism in these patients? And if so, are there other treatment options for PCOS? So I'll start with saying that the risk of venous thromboembolism in a healthy young adolescent girl, whether obese or lean, is extremely rare. Mm -hmm. So I would not necessarily use that as um, a reason to to not treat with oral contraceptives. There are certain absolute contraindications. If there is a known genetic or other systemic disorder that can increase clots, um, or if there's a history of migraine with aura, Mm -hmm. and you are absolutely contraindicated in using an oral contraceptive, then there are definitely other treatment options. Uh, Metformin is Mm -hmm. used frequently. We know that part of the pathology of PCOS involves insulin resistance. So even if we're not seeing insulin resistance per se on labs, 
at the level of the ovaries, we know that treating with metformin can improve ovulation um, and lower testosterone levels. So that's another option. We can use antiandrogens like spironolactone mm -hmm. that can help with the dermatologic findings specifically. If it's acne or hirsutism that they're very concerned about, mm -hmm. that can also be an alternative treatment. And then, of course, part of our mainstay of treatment for all patients is lifestyle modification and making sure mm -hmm. that they are working on diet and exercise, um, which in and of itself can often lead to improvements. Mm -hmm. Do you mentioned some of the cosmetic things like acne and hirsutism? Does starting an oral contraceptive usually improve those? And like, how do we, or how do you, I guess, counsel the PCOS patients about that? Because I can imagine for teenage girls, that's one of their concerns. Oftentimes, the oral contraceptive does treat the acne. Mm -hmm. There are some patients with severe acne, which may not be 100% hormonally related, mm -hmm. who do require other treatments. Um, this is one of the reasons we have a dermatologist in our PCOS clinic mm -hmm. who sees most of our patients that can help That's with great. that management. So if they have very severe acne and don't want to wait two or, two or three months or are concerned about scarring mm -hmm. from waiting, um, they can concomitantly be started on other treatments. Mm -hmm. um, if the acne is less severe, we can see if it improves on the oral contraceptive and if not, consider whether we want to add something else. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of the hirsutism, what we're doing with suppressing the androgens with any of our treatment options is preventing the hair growth from worsening and spreading. Mm -hmm. Typically, patients still need cosmetic measures to remove the hair once it's there, mm -hmm. um, but we counsel them that once the testosterone is lower, things like laser hair removal are much more likely to be effective. Mm -hmm. And or there so, shouldn't be new hair coming. Right. right. Um, and they should wait on spending money on things like laser hair mm -hmm. removal until we've lowered their testosterone. Um, but they conti can continue waxing, shaving, mm -hmm. um, depilatories, or whatever they've been using. Mm -hmm. You mentioned lifestyle modifications as being really important. So how do these improve the ovulatory cycles in, in kids with PCOS? It's actually amazing how well you can treat PCOS mm -hmm. with lifestyle changes. So for patients that are obese, of course, weight loss, um, even 5 to 10% of body weight can sometimes restore menstrual cycles mm -hmm. and help with some of the hyperandrogenic symptoms. Um, even for girls that are not overweight, just improving um, the diet, decreasing excess carbohydrates and simple sugars, mm -hmm. and particularly exercising to improve skeletal muscle insulin sensitivity can help with that as well. And I've had several patients that notice that as long as they're careful with their diet and maintaining their exercise habits, their periods are coming monthly. And then as soon as they slip, mm -hmm. they'll notice that things become irregular again. So it definitely is a mainstay of the treatment mm -hmm. um, if the patients are able to stick to it. Right. And that's something that obviously we counsel about a lot in primary care. So it's nice to know that we can help encourage that and continue that education in our patients yeah. and actually be making a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So some skeptics may say that they can measure a testosterone level in primary care and start an oral contraceptive pill. So tell us a little bit about the benefits of referring these patients to um, endocrinology, and in particular, a center like the one that we have at CHOP, 
and, and kind of why we should uh, have that level of care? So first of all, I know that you guys in primary care are extremely busy. Uh, and PCOS is a complicated diagnosis. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things we work on is really educating the family about what the diagnosis means. Mm -hmm. Uh, right now, but also for the future in terms of metabolic health, fertility, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that, you know, we're happy to help with that part of the management. Mm -hmm. Second, um, we have a multidisciplinary team in our clinic. So mm -hmm. I work closely with a dermatologist and a nutritionist um, that is available to every patient in the clinic. Mm -hmm. And since we talked about the frequency of dermatologic symptoms and you know, the absolute necessity of lifestyle modification, I feel like it's mm -hmm. imperative that they are seen by these other providers to help mm -hmm. with the management. And then third, it's not always clear cut. So um, a high testosterone might not always be PCOS, and it may be worth, at least at this time in life, having everything looked at and be 100% sure about the diagnosis mm -hmm. um, before we commit the patient to a chronic label right. um, and something that, you know, could affect their health um, lifelong. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, since this is a lifelong um, diagnosis, does your center help transition these kids to adult care providers? Because I would imagine, especially with the fertility piece, that that's um, important. Yeah, that's definitely something we're working on right now. Um, we do work closely with the PCOS Center at Penn, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of our patients end up being referred there mm -hmm. um, to continue their care as they age out of our clinic. And we work with them to identify providers that are local to them as well that, mm -hmm. can, that can help them manage their disease. Great. So um, for those who do want to refer a patient to your clinic, can you give us sort of how we can find you um, and how we can refer? Um, we do have a website on the internet. Mm -hmm. And you can refer directly through endocrinology de department. They just need to, um, patients can just call our department and ask for the PCOS clinic and they can be scheduled in. Great. Well, thank you so much for shedding some light on this topic, which as you mentioned is common in our patient population. And we're happy to have resources like you at CHOP helping us take care of those patients. So thanks. And thanks for helping us spread the word. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcasts for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.